The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Lord, we pray these things trusting, knowing that you are in charge. We ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I would invite your attention to, I about said Romans, to, Mo, to, ooh, to Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3. And as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 3, I do want to take a moment and thank Pastor Nelson for preaching last week. And uh, the, the, the tenor from here until Easter is pretty much we're going to be in Hebrews. We had scheduled out a break uh, uh, in March for a different speaker to come in. That did not work out. So we're going to be in Hebrews pretty much from now until April. I think it's 18th is Easter Sunday. So you hold on to your hats. We're going to get there. But I want to remind you this morning that this is a study that many people would love to have right now who are suffering. And so we thank the Lord that we can spend time studying the Word of God together. With that in mind, would you join me one more time in standing as we read God's Word together? Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Our sermon title today is Jesus, and if you forgot your math symbols, that means greater than, up there on the screen, greater than Moses. Jesus greater than Moses. And we'll go to verse 6 in chapter 3. Hear God's word this morning. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For verse 3, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For verse 4, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over all God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and boasting in our hope. As we read this this morning, I want to remind you where we've been, and we'll get into this more in the sermon. Chapter 1, it was all about Jesus being God. He's deity. He is God of gods, Lord of lords. Chapter 2, it was all about his humanity, that Jesus came as a man, fully God as he was, and together those married in one divine nature as a mystery uh, the mystery of godliness, First Timothy calls it. But now he's given us our first therefore. And now he's given us, you see there in verse 1, our first command. You would think in three chapters you would get a command somewhere. But three chapters in, he first gives us our command. And it is this word, consider. Consider. And we will look at that a little bit more in detail today. Let's bow our heads this morning. We'll pray and we'll get into our text as we exposit it, look at it, mine it out as it is together. Let's bow our heads as we do. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, I thank you that even though you are God and you came, that there is a therefore, and it is including us. Lord, how easily in your sovereign justice you could have excluded every one of us, and rightfully so, because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's nothing good in us. There's nothing redeemable in us, Lord, in the sense that we are at enmity with you. We hate you to our core outside of Christ. But because of Christ, may we consider him this morning who called us out from darkness into great light that we may have 
our, sa- our salvation, our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. May we consider Jesus this morning well. Lord, we do so to your honor and glory. We ask in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come to this time, this is taking you back a few years, and uh, it actually was more when I started in formal ministry. Some of y'all remember these uh, these uh, great advertisements behind me, and Amy will put this up. It's so easy, a what? A caveman could do it. It's so easy, a caveman could do it. Now, these commercials were there to teach you, and I'm not a Geico salesman, but they were basically there to teach you that if a caveman can attend a therapy session, a basketball game, or, or eat at a restaurant, then you can go online and save 15% on car insurance in 15 minutes. You can do that too. And that's what it's all about. So easy, a caveman could do it. And you remember these things, and he'd look at his picture, and anyway, just as a side note, I read about the actor of that time, and, and he was about my age when he, he took on this role. And he didn't become famous, this actor, but he apparently made enough money, he sent all four of his kids to college. So being the Geico caveman actually paid out in a good way. So easy, even he could do it. But you know, sometimes in the Christian life, when it comes to the Christian life, we, we, we forget how easy the Christian life is. And I say that knowing full well that being a Christian is not easy. But I say that sometimes that we simply overcomplicate the Christian life. We get busy over here. We, 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 we focus so much on one thing over there that we miss what God is actually saying before us. And really what the Christian life is all about is considering Jesus, is considering him, is worshiping him, is obeying him. It's what John 3.30 said when John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. There's another math term for you. But the Christian life is amazingly simple. The Christian life is really about Jesus Christ. It really is. To believe on him, to love him, to follow him, to worship him, to serve him, to experience his forgiveness and justification, to grow in sanctification, to be redeemed by him, to, 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 to know him. Jesus said to know God and to know eternal life. And so the Christian life, in some sense, is so easy that a caveman could do it by God's grace. But so often we overcomplicate it. And I think in our COVID time, we haven't talked about that in a while, but I want to remind you that COVID has really stripped a lot of things bare in churches. And one thing I'm grateful that it's stripped in a lot of senses, and they're not always bad, is the programmatic thing of churches. So often it was this on this night and this on that night and this on that night, and all within a good purpose. But one thing COVID taught us is we really just need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to what really matters in our lives and in our faith, and that is being together and worshiping the Lord and sharing His name. It's really what it's all about. Don't overcomplicate it. And so as we come to Hebrews chapter 3, we've heard some deep truths. We've heard some great truths about God. But when He tells us His first command, He doesn't say go and, and, and go study for seven years. He says, consider Jesus. And we'll get to that word. But the big idea today, and Amy will put this up, Consider Jesus doesn't mean like you, you know, you go and consider at Carvana, have you seen those elevator cars or at off, or CarMax or one of those? It doesn't mean take Jesus for a test drive and try him out or it, try see if he works for you. Rather, consider Jesus means that you find yourself, your life, satisfied in, in awe of, and, and enthralled by Christ and Christ alone. That's really what it's all about. And so many of us get so into Christianity that we miss the Christ of Christianity. Does that make sense? Look, Jesus didn't call you to have a balanced life, an easy life, or your best life now. He told you to lose your life and find it in him. 
That's really what it's all about. And this morning, he's going to give us two ways that we consider Jesus in our lives. Two ways we consider Jesus in our lives. If you're taking notes, we'll, those will be on the back, and we'll get to those. But I want you to remember that. When you see the word consider, it's not just, oh, that's great, because I'll come to you and say, hey, consider this restaurant. And you're like, I don't even like that food to begin with. Why would I consider it? Or when your parents put that on your plate and said, eat this. They didn't say consider it. They said, eat it. You know that. That's not what he's saying here. When he says consider, he literally means focus your attention so much on and so rifle focused in that nothing else should matter in your life. And we'll unpack that today. The first thing we see as we consider Jesus is I want you to see first off the description of believers, the description of believers here in verse one. You see here as he starts us out about considering Jesus, he says, therefore, and I want to remind you, as I did in the opening, that is, that is referring back to chapters 1 and 2. Christ is fully God. He's human. And now it's coming to this end. He wants you to consider Jesus. And to get there, he calls them holy brethren or holy brothers. Sisters, this has you too. It's, it's a plural word here. It's in the neuter. It literally means that all people who call upon name are, are, uh, Jesus' name are holy. But I want to also remind you today that there are no unholy brothers or sisters in Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is, is that you cannot be a Christian and have not come to know Jesus yourself. There's so many people who think they're a Christian just because someone in their lives is a Christian. It's kind of like when you find someone and you, you know, my, my family's heritage. You remember Unsolved Mysteries? I've told you I love that show, even though it's weird and the, the music still gives me the creeps when it opens up. You all know that, movie, that show from the 80s? Um, the guy who was Robert Stack is a fourth cousin of my mom. That was our, our claim to fame. When people went around, I'd say, hey, I know Robert Stack. He was a fourth cousin of my mom. That's my claim to fame. But look, some people treat Jesus that way. Man, my daddy was a Christian, and my, my mom was a Christian, and all these things, but I'm not a Christian. Look, if you are not holy, if you've not trusted Christ alone to be your righteousness, to be your salvation, you cannot be called a holy brethren. It does not mean that Christians are perfect all the time. It simply means that those who are in Christ are holy. And he says this in two ways. Well, how are they holy? Well, he says, first off, there's a positional holiness. There's a positional holiness. What I mean by that is there comes a moment of time where Jesus has worked in your life, where you became a Christian. Now, some evangelists many years ago may have told you to write that in the back of your Bible, the time, date, and place you became a Christian. There's nothing holy about that. But at some point, you became a Christian. All your sin was washed away. You are holy in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he alone sees the perfect holiness that covers you. You're positionally righteous, meaning that when I'm by your deathbed, if I have the opportunity to be by you at that time, I don't have to read you a special book that tells you last rites so that you will have all your sin covered since the last time you confessed. I am grateful that our Savior said he has done once and for all. That's it. There's also a practical holiness. Jerry Bridges, if you have not read him before, actually has a whole book on this uh, called The Pursuit of Holiness. This one verse uh, plus uh, another verse from Hebrews 12, 14, which says, Pursue holiness, for without it no one can see the Lord. There is a practical holiness. Look, if you're in Jesus... There's going to be some evidence of that in your life, isn't there? Now, we are declared holy. We're covered. We must now daily progress in our sanctification. We must know Christ daily. We must live for him daily. It means to pursue Christ. 
So when you're not only saved, you don't just get saved to go to heaven. You're saved so that you can become more like Christ. So when he appears on that day or you go to him before that last second trumpet sounds, you look more like him. And you don't stick out like a sore thumb because you don't match up like everybody else. Christian, I want to encourage you today that some days are going to be harder than others when it comes to knowing Christ. It's just going to be. But he tells them that they're brothers and sisters. And he also says, secondly, that they're partakers of a heavenly calling. Did you see that, the description of believers here? They are holy brothers and sisters, but they are partakers of the heavenly calling. What does this mean? It means that we have become holy by Christ working within us. It means also that we are called into the family of God. That some point in your life, the Holy Spirit of God said, hey, you, and you came. I'm going to remind you, when Jesus called the disciples, he summoned them. Now, I know, and, and Lawyer Dave can tell me more about this later, I know there are people today who, if they get a summons from court, they'll just they'll rip it up, jury duty, they'll rip it up, whatever. But when God summons someone, they're coming. He draws them irresistibly to himself because he's a God who does that. Now, they may fight and kick at times, but in God's timing, they will come. Just when Jonah was called out, they will come. And that's what it is. So if you're a holy brother or sister, you're described here as someone who's been called out by a heavenly calling. Look, the call came from heaven and to heaven. God himself called you. He didn't call you on his cell phone. Or if you have a, some of y'all have a rotary dial phone at home, I don't know. He didn't rotary dial you. He didn't send you an email or a text message or a TikTok or whatever. He called you, and you are now in the church. The church literally means the called out ones, the ecclesia, and he's been giving you ears to hear. So life, look, this is on your notes. Life isn't everything Jesus is. Life isn't everything Jesus is. Let that sink in for a second. You're not going to be a monk that in the third century that makes a tower and literally lives at the top of like a 30-meter or 90-foot tower where you live in the elements to show your holiness. That's not what you're being called to. You are called to live life amongst people who don't know Christ, but you are called to live as a holy brother or sister who's considering Jesus, who's seeing him not just as something you try, but something that is worth your whole life. It's really what it's about. And if you're here today and you have not come to Jesus, can I just implore you to, if you're online, if you're watching us, whatever, I just encourage you, if you died tonight truly, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? It's a question we all have to answer. And I know over in Ukraine right now, that's a real question. A lot of people are asking, if I died right now, what would happen? Well, friend, the great news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that while we were still running away, he reached out and he says, if you repent and believe in me, I will save you from all your sins. Trust in Christ. That's how you become holy. And that's what it really is. That's a description of believers. Number two, it's going to be our main thrust today. I want you to, how do you consider Jesus? You consider that you've been positionally holy. You're practically holy. You're a partaker of a heavenly calling. But secondly, you're, you have a duty of the believers, duty of believers to do what? To worship Christ as, and he tells you four things. How do you worship Christ? How do you, how do you partake of considering Jesus? You partake of considering Jesus in four ways, and they relate to who he is. Look back at verse one, he, and we're going to break these down here. The first one is this. He says, consider Jesus, focus on Jesus. 
Since Christ is able to deal with the most important problems we face, the close attention we have is what we give him. So he says, Jesus is first an apostle. Now that sounds funny. If Don Harper, if, if Don Harper and I were in class, as we usually are back here, when we always go through books in the New Testament, every time we go through the last several years, Don, we ask the question, what's an apostle? And Don and Ray were always the first to say two things. They saw the resurrected Jesus, and they were commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. So how can Jesus be an apostle? How does that work? He is Jesus. Did he see himself? Did he call himself out? What does this mean? Well, the first reason that we should consider Jesus is because he is an apostle. Well, what does that mean? Apostle literally means one who is sent. Well, guess what? Christ was sent, wasn't he? What was he sent to do? He was sent to die for your sins. Go back to chapters 1 and 2. The word apostle literally means sent one. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to pay the ultimate price on our behalf. And Jesus faithfully and perfectly executed that mission, exactly what God told him to do. Therefore, he says that he represents us before God. This is why in John 14, 9, Jesus could say, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. How can you then say, show us the Father? Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, so the apostles of the New Testament were sent to show others and tell others about Christ himself. I want you to know you can have a duty of worshiping God because he sent his son for you. He's the apostle. John 17, 18, Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. That's the first description. The second description is this. He calls them high priests. Now, you know, we've shared this. We're going to be going over this phrase forever and a day in a good way in the coming weeks, months. It's a big phrase in Hebrews. But you worship Jesus because he's your high priest. Again, the function of a high priest was to represent man before God. And that's exactly what Christ did. And Christ was given this clearly in the last chapter, that he was our high priest, that he represents us before God. He fully fulfilled all the law's demands. He fully fulfilled the perfect propitiatory sacrifice, to use that big word, for his people. Why do you worship him? Because he still went on your behalf before the Father, despite what you did to him. And Christian, I said it at the intro of my prayer, I want to remind us this morning that there is nothing good in you apart from Jesus Christ. There's nothing redeemable in you. You may be created in the image of God. And that's why we hold all life is valuable from the oldest to the youngest to the newborn being formed in the mother's womb. But I want to remind you, we are born into sin and we are die into sin unless Christ intervenes. And he will intervene because he's our great high priest. I love that picture, don't you, at the, uh, at the cross when that veil tore, that heavy veil that was separating the high priest and the holy of holies just went to shreds like this. I'd be thinking, how much? I'd be thinking as as a Jewish priest, how much is that going to cost to replace, right? But the cost was infinite. It would never be replaced because the Son of God died for our sins. But I want you to see perhaps the biggest descriptor here. Not only is Jesus worthy to be praised, and your duty is to praise him as apostle and high priest, but he's also, thirdly, the builder of the house. Look back at verses 2 and 3. We're going to break this down. He says in verse 2, he says, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses has been faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Look, it's clear from the author here, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, that he's showing that Jesus is greater than Moses. 
And Moses was the great lawgiver, and, and he was the one who, who shared everything that came to be that God gave him. In fact, it's a, it's a vivid image, image here. Moses was simply a witness and a spectator. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, you know these words well. He said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to do what the law said would happen when the Messiah came. But Moses was only able, you know, Moses was the only one able who was able to take those two descriptors of Jesus in human form. Note this. He was an apostle. He was sent out by God to go do the work, Exodus 3. But Moses was also a high priest in a lot of ways. Say, how do we know that? Well, F.F. Bruce, one of those old dead guys, said it was Moses, not Aaron, who was Israel's true advocate and intercessor before God. Think about that. When the nation of Israel was getting ready to be obliterated, who stood between them? Moses. When Moses was up getting the commands of God, what was Aaron doing? Well, Moses, the people just told me. They, they just, man, there was so much pressure by the people. I just had to make this golden calf, you see. I mean, it really just kind of popped out of everything. And there, <laughs> there it is, Moses. I mean, what do you want to do? Look, it was Moses who interceded and pleaded with God on behalf of the people that they wouldn't die. Moses, in a sense, was a foreshadowing as an apostle, the sent out one to the people of Israel, and the priest that Christ would be the apostle and high priest. But now he says, Jesus is greater than even Moses. You notice that Jesus and Moses are, you notice that in verse 3, verse 2, they both were considered faithful. Did you note that there? Both Moses was faithful and both Jesus were faithful, but did you notice what was different, contrasted between the two? One had honor and the other did not. Just as Moses was faithful in all the house, for Jesus is counted more worthy or more glory than all of God's, and than all of God's people. And you hear this, these verses, you don't need to turn there, but Numbers 12 says this. It says, and God said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak with him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles, and he beholds the forms of God. Look, Moses was privileged to lead the people out of Egypt. He was, he, he was privileged to receive the law. He spoke on behalf of God, and he was a servant. And Hebrews does not diminish that. In fact, it, it, it recognizes that. But it is not the same. Jesus has been greater. Jesus is better. And Jesus is the one who is now able to fulfill all that Moses didn't do. I mean, guys, think about this for a second. What kept Moses primarily out of the promised land? Do you remember? They were thirsty. Yeah, he hit a rock, which doesn't sound too great, doesn't it? I mean, come on, you know, hit a, it's not going to end up well for you if you do that. Moses was told to strike the rock how many times? One time. And he got a little feisty, didn't he? You dumb rock. You know, he hit it more than once. The Puritans and all the way through the old days have always believed that Moses hitting that rock once was a picture of God the Father hitting the Son one time and dying for our sins once for all. So when Moses, in his anger, took out that rock and tried to make it a Mike Tyson punching bag, he was sinning. Because God didn't need to make his son die more than one time. He died one time. And so Moses was considered faithful. But Jesus perfectly fulfilled everything. That's why he was counted as more glory. Jesus doesn't have to die every week we come together. Aren't you grateful for that? 
when we take the Lord's Supper, as we said last week, it's done. That's it. We don't have to re-crucify him and eat his flesh and drink his blood. For Jesus has been counted as greater than all the glory of Moses, and it perfectly was accomplished. And why was that? Because Jesus is contrasting here, or, or the Hebrews writer is contrasting that Jesus is like a builder, and the builder of the house is none other than Jesus Christ. Let me remind you from Hebrews 1 and 2 who this is. Jesus is the final revelation of God the Father. He's the heir of all things. He's the agent of creation. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's fully God. He sustains all things by his word. He made purification for our sins. He's seated, he's seated enthroned at the right hand of God. He's the eternal God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the one that the angels worship. He's the David, Davidic Messiah King, Pastor Nelson uh, told us about last week. He will rule forever, and he has conquered death and all his enemies. And so who is the builder of the house? It's not Moses. It's God himself. Aren't you glad that your salvation rests upon God and not one of us as a leader? Because we will fail you every single time we try to accomplish that. He's the builder of the house. Well, what house is that? Look down at verses 4 and 5, and he'll tell you what house that is. He says, For every house was built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, verse 5, but to testify to these things that were to be spoken later. What's he referring to here? He's telling us that Moses himself, he's telling us that through all these things, Moses testified to what was coming. Moses testified that there was someone greater coming instead of him, that, that he was not the one. In short, the role of Moses was to point to Jesus Christ. Do you remember the story after the resurrection? They were walking on the road of Emmaus. Do you remember the story? And these two guys were talking, man, I can't believe Jesus died. What's going to happen? And in Luke 24, it tells us that Jesus came in, in some supernatural miracle came, and they did not recognize him, and he kind of played coy for a minute. He said, what happened here in Jerusalem? And they're like, don't you know? I mean, come on now. I mean, it's, everyone's talking about this. And they go and sit down, and it says in Luke 24, 44, Jesus said, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Moses pointed to a greater reality coming in Jesus Christ. And friends, this is so true. What is the house being spoken of here? Well, Moses built a tabernacle. Do you remember that? Some of y'all are in that part of your Bible reading where you're starting to get into those fine details about the tabernacle. And if you're in the ESV, I, I listen to the ESV on my audio when I run, and it's fine twined linen. And the, the author makes a very, he has a distinct voice, and you hear him in Exodus and Deuteronomy and all the things saying, and they built it out of fine twined linen. And I just have that in my head all week. It just sticks in. But Moses built a tabernacle, a temporary place where he served. But I want you to know, what is this house referring to? It's probably referring to the tabernacle, and it's probably also referring to the place where Moses served. The point is, is that the person and work of Jesus Christ was enough. We don't need a temple anymore. All the sacrifices are done. The house being built was the house of the foundation of your salvation. And that's what we know. And the nation of Israel pointed forward to what we now know as the church. Let me tell you today, what is the church? The church is made up of Gentiles and Jews, all in one. We don't have a separate track for Jews and a separate track for Gentiles. We are one in Christ. Go read Ephesians 2. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, Peter says, a people for his own possession that may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out. Friends, what an awesome God we have. If you're here today, you are in Christ because of what he did. He has built the house of salvation. That is number three. Last little point here of this main point. He's also, why do you worship him? He's the apostle, the high priest, the builder of the house. But number six, or number four, rather, number six, whoo. Y'all are thinking we have more than we do. He's the son over the house. Look at verse six. There it is. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but notice here, Christ is faithful as a son. From this passage, we see several things that are true. First, that Moses was a servant in the past, but Christ is working now. Moses is a servant in God's house, but Christ is over God's house. And Moses was a servant, but Christ is now the son. And so what that means for you is that Christ has a unique sonship, that he's fully divine, that he's fully able to take all that you have and turn it from sin into righteousness if you trust in him and him alone. And that's why he says at the very part of last verse 6, he says, and we are his house indeed if we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. Christian, Many of you have come over the years and talked to me or Nelson or other staff we've had or other Christians, and you've asked the question, how do I know for sure that I am truly a Christian? I mean, really, end of the day, how do I know if I'm really a believer in Jesus Christ? And if you're a Christian at some point, despite age or experience, you're going to ask that question because you sin really terribly. You think, how could anyone who believes in Jesus do that? You struggle with, with just following the basic commands of Scripture. You know them. You, you actually desire to do them, but fulfilling them is hard. And, and you ask that question, how do I know I'm a Christian? Well, we preached on this about three or four months ago when I asked the pastors you did. But I want to remind you what Hebrews is going to tell you over and over and over again. You must hold fast to Jesus Christ. Brian, we need to do that song very soon. He will hold me fast. How do you know you're a Christian? It's not that you're more perfect than anybody else. It's not that you don't sin. It's not that you don't struggle with sin or struggle to do the things God does. I think that's a real honest assessment of every Christian of all time. The question is, when you go through those times, what is your focus really on? Who are you really considering? And to what are you holding on to? Because if you're like David after he sins, your prayer is not God yeah, I sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and the whole nation. But Lord, primarily, I sinned against you and you alone. So this morning, Christian, your greatest hope in knowing that you're a Christian is, is your barometer, is your compass, is your whatever you want to say focused on Christ, even in the midst of hard times when you don't live up to what Christ expects you to by his grace and spirit. You hold fast to Christ. That's why Jesus said those words that haunt many of us. He or she who endures to the end will be saved. Well, was Jesus an evolutionist? Was he a Darwinist? No, it's not survival of the fittest. By grace, you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the work of God. That saves you, and that same grace carries you day by day by day. Sometimes it's rescuing grace. Ever been there? And sometimes it's redeeming grace to remind you of what God has done for you. 
that he is the son over the house, meaning that if your foundation is laid in the, in the house, in the neighborhood, if you will, of Jesus Christ, no one will ever take you away from that foundation. You can hold fast to him. If you could lose your salvation, you would. But Christ holds you. How do you then consider him? Amy, we're going to put these up one slide at a time. I'm not going to go through this. This was our Theology Tuesday this week. If you're not on our email or Facebook, we, we invite you to do so. We send these out every Tuesday. What does this mean for you? We learn this from the very passage. I want you to know this. You can fill in the blanks as you go. Jesus will never, ever fail you. He won't fail you. Read my lips. No more taxes. Oh, yeah, right. But when God says, read my lips, I'm there for you all the time. You should consider him as worthy to be praised because he holds you. Second thing is this. He will never divorce his bride. There are a lot of people who want, to, want the church to break away from Jesus or they themselves say, I love Jesus. I just don't need to be around God's people. Oh, yeah, right. Hebrews, we're going to get there in several months. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Do not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing, but consider it all the more as the day draws near. Encouraging one another. Jesus will never divorce his bride. There are times when Jesus looks at the church, I'm sure, and says, wow. But I want to remind you, we knock the church a lot, but Jesus' bride is perfect. Jesus' bride is redeemed. Jesus' bride is white and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our churches, lowercase c's, don't always live up to what the big church, Jesus' church, should be. They're all his. But I want you to know he's not letting us go. That's why God, can I speak a word to us corporately? I know COVID has changed things and who's here, what we do at Tire View in a lot of ways. But I want to tell you again, as long as we're focused on him, the gates of hell will never prevail. And we know that. Thirdly, he will build his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the denomination's church. It's his church. He will build it. And guess what? He doesn't come to us and say, hey, Hey, you want to you submit your building plans for me and I'll, I'll take your bid today? No. He says, go and do what I said. He will build his church. And I'm, we're grateful to be construction workers, if you will, in his projects by grace. How else do we consider Jesus? Four to six, here it is. You'll see this up there. Jesus will never reject anyone who comes to him. If you're not a Christian here today, I want you to know that Jesus, if Jesus can take in Moses, Jesus can take in you. If Jesus can take in anyone, he can take in you. He will no wise cast you out. He won't reject you if you truly come to him. He won't, you know, some people say, well, how do I know if I'm one of the chosen of God? Here's how you know. Do you desire Christ or do you not? If you desire him, he's not going to say to you, oh, sorry, don't come. You will come because you want him. You, just like you want Water, when you're thirsty in the desert, you will want Jesus so more, but he's the living water, and it will never cease because he loves you that much. And I want to remind his church that Jesus will not follow us. Jesus doesn't care what plans we have. We have to follow him. Jesus does not care how cool, how creative, how constructive, even to use that word we are. He cares about our hearts before him more than anything else in this world. And Jesus will not make life will not make everything in life easier. Life is going to be hard. Look, we pray for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, especially in these days, because life is hard for them. Some of them may never have the stability they had for the years they had. 
we may never know it. Guys, we, we are so blessed in America. Don't forget that. You are blessed beyond anything. I don't have to tell you that. We have the freedom to gather with maybe a few words here said on social media about us or maybe a few odd looks, but no one's putting a gun to your head not to come today. You get to worship so freely. That's why it grates us as pastors when we have members in our church who, who go to movie theaters, who go to games, who go everywhere else, but they want to hold their membership here, but they don't want to be among the people here. doesn't mean we can't right or wrong. If that's happened or ask forgiveness or seek forgiveness, we would be more than happy to do so. That's why as often as we are, we call you to come, not for our numbers' sake, not for that annual report we sent it to the Southern Baptist Convention, how many people sat in the seats. We want you here because Jesus says this is where you get your encouragement. Because you're around other people who see it just as you do. What an awesome God you are. Last two, and we'll close with this. Jesus from this passage has reminded us that we will never bust, he'll never bust us from being over-encouragers. You want to know what a great thing it is to know Jesus Christ? It's that he tells you that because of all that you've heard today, you're to encourage one another with those words. Don't lose that focus. Do you know the one thing in Scripture, Hebrews 10 tells us, that you're supposed to do all the more until he comes back? It's to encourage each other. But so many Christians today are like, they're like Pac-Man, man. They just go around and gobble up all the little dots on the screen, and they're little Christians, and they just gobble up. There's some Christians who say they read their Bibles in the morning, they get on social media, and they just blast everybody like, man, like, dude, take a chill pill. But I want to remind you today, if you're considering Jesus, you have holy brothers and sisters. The war is done. It's not against each other. The war has been defeated in Satan. Don't fight each other. Encourage each other. Because Christ has given us all that he has. And I want to tell you, too, that he's returning to make all things right. It may look like the house is battered. It may look like the house has been shot down. The foundation may look like it's stirring or falling over. But I want to tell you, Christian, when Jesus comes back, we won't have to see him any more than in all his glory because that's all he's going to be showing us is all he is. Moses' house was a faulty foundation because it was not complete, but Jesus is greater than Moses and everything in him is yes and amen. I'm coming quickly, Jesus said in Revelation 22. You remember what John's prayer was? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Guys, I pray today that as you look through your week, that you consider Jesus more than you ever have for all that he's done for you. Will you pray with me as we close out in our last song here in just a moment? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we are called to consider you because you have described us as holy brothers and sisters. We're positionally and practically holy. We're partakers of the heavenly calling. We worship you, Lord, because you sent your son, the apostle, the high priest, the builder of all things, and the son over the house. We thank you, Lord, that this list of eight or nine things is just touching so small what you have done for us and what this passage implies for us in Christ. Father, may this just encourage us. Hebrews is a deep book. It's technical at times, especially in the later chapters as we get into the law and Levitical and Melchizedek. But, Father, as we consider the first command of the book of Hebrews, to consider Jesus, may we just be reminded no matter what we're facing at home or at work or around the world, just that you are worthy of our attention. And Father, we know we can't sit as Peter and, and, and John and others wanted to do at the Mount of Transfiguration and sit in the glory and the basking of the, the Son of God unveiling himself before them. They had to go back down. 
to off that mountain and, and, and live real life. And Father, we know that story from Mark that as soon as they got down there, the disciples were arguing with people about how they couldn't cast out demons. Real life hit even after they had a had a, a experience a, a joyful high with Christ. So Father, as we consider you, may you remind us, Lord, that you called us to be in this crazy world we live in, that you are the builder of everything. You hold us and you hold us fast. So Lord, encourage us this week with that. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. We pray all this today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.